What's up, boys? Welcome to episode 37 of the Peach State Tailgate Sports Podcast. I'm Kenny Cochran, joined by my co-host, Mr. Jake Hewitt. Oh, yeah. Baseball season is upon us. Spring training is here. Mm. And uh, last couple episodes, we talked about the Braves. We talked about the pitching staffs. We talked about the infield. And uh, today's episode is all about the outfield, all about them boys. And, uh, Lord, with you talk about the different positions and how they impact the team. Dare I say that this outfield for this Braves team is loaded. Oh, yeah. Loaded with depth. And, obviously, there's two glaring beauties out there in the outfield that we're going to talk about probably pretty immediately upon starting this episode. But before we get into that, man, thank you all so much for checking us out. And uh, episode 37, it's good to be back. Good to be here and uh, let's talk some baseball. Jake, you got anything? Man, it is wonderful to be back. Uh, this is our first episode that we've done since um, last October that we've had baseball during it. So that is that is beautiful. You know, baseball started this past weekend, spring training. Um, we've been kind of keeping track of it, you know, here and there. It's not the easiest thing to catch because, you know, that some games are televised, some games aren't. Most games are at 1 o'clock where most people are at work. And you're kind of like trying to keep up on your phone. Um, obviously, I'm not really too worried about, uh, you know, Justin Dean scoring on a wild pitch in the bottom of the seventh inning. So I get those notifications and kind of just scroll on past them. But hey, you know, usually at the end of the day, I do go back and look at the box score to see some of the notable guys, see how they performed. We have a couple things to talk about. Uh, a couple key, key things. I'm going to go ahead and get out the way. Um, Spencer Strider, Max Freed, Matt Olson, uh, Michael Harris, Vaughn Grissom. Um, they've all been destroying the world right now. Um, we kind of figured. I think most people kind of kind of thought that would happen. Most of the guys that we expected to perform are performing well. I know you look at Austin Riley and Ozzy Alves and Eddie and all them. You're kind of like, damn, what are these guys doing? That's okay. It's spring training. This stuff does not matter one bit. Those are experienced veterans that have proven themselves at the major league level time and time again. So I'm not too worried about them. But a couple key guys are out there that have performed well. And, you know, whenever you talk about this Braves team, this lineup is pretty loaded. This lineup, you know, we pretty much know what that is at the start. But... I think pitching is where our biggest question mark is. And not so much, you know, top-end pitching. We, we know those guys. Um, it's more like back-end startings, back-end uh, relievers, you know, those. Not really back-end relievers. But, you know, you know, last guy into the bullpen, like, final roster spot type guys. And we're kind of getting a little bit more of an idea. I mean, we are only, you know, five days in spring training. And we still have, like, a whole month left. So, there is a lot of time things can happen. But, Kenny, is there anybody that has stuck out to you so far this spring? Uh, for sure. And um, before I get into it, I will say I, I, I like I like what you said there about, uh, you know, you got the guys like Max and Spencer. You got the guys like Vaughn, Big Mike and uh, and Matt Olson out there just absolutely balling right now. Um, it's just like any any sport, man. It's not just baseball. You talk about pro, professional football in the NFL or college football. Any kind of preseason activity for your home team when a player is playing really, really good in the preseason. It's just a future look at how he's going to be in the regular season. But if one of your players on your home team is playing bad in the preseason, it doesn't matter. Thanks. Um, that's the beautiful thing about preseason is mm -hmm. we get to build our own narratives because these games do not count. Mm -hmm. So, uh, But, yes, no, there's several guys that have really impressed me so far in spring training, <clears throat> number one being Matt Olson. And um, I say impress me as – I'm just really, really, you know, I'm seeing really, really good baseball from Matt Olson. I'm not impressed, like, surprised to see him playing good baseball. He's Matt freaking Olson. Like, you expect to see Matt Olson play really good baseball, but he's batting like 700 right now in spring training, which is absurd. 
Um, and the same with Michael Harris, the same with Vaughn Grissom. Those guys are absolutely balling. But, you know, Michael Harris is the uh, was the National League Rookie of the Year last year. Probably, you know, I actually said it, I think it was either today or yesterday when we were talking about guys from our, uh, you know, hometown area that have gone to play professional sports. I mean, you can make an argument that this guy's a top five center, center fielder in baseball last year as a rookie. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I would certainly make that argument. I'm sure Jake would too. Um, so even a guy like Michael Harris doesn't have quite the big league rapport that Matt Olson does or the experience that Matt Olson does. So you expect to see Matt Olson play quality baseball year after year, but it's almost like we expect Michael to do that now. And, um, so to see those two guys balling is great, but I think the big one of those three that I just mentioned is Vaughn Grissom, dude, mm-hmm. because there are, there are so many questions around Vaughn Grissom heading into the season. Number one being, how's he going to be as an everyday shortstop? Is this a day one starter? You know, you lose Dansby Swanson to that big contract to the Cubs, and um, you know all the rumors were flying. We're going to sign Correa. We're going to trade for Willie Adams. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. They even you, you even heard crazy rumors about you know D.D. Gregorius. You know. Like, it, it didn't matter who you're talking about. There's so many guys that were in the conversation of, of who the Braves going to bring in to kind of fill that, you know, middle infield hole. And um, it seemed like a lot of people were sleeping on Vaughn Grissom, saying that he wasn't quite ready. I know Jake and I had a couple questions about it. You know, what do you, you – we really haven't seen this guy play shortstop for an extended period of time. We haven't seen him play shortstop at all, actually, because he played second when he came up. But, you know, what he did – in the batter's box was pretty significant, even though he cooled off later in the year. And then you hear about all the work he's put in the offseason with Ron Washington. Um, you know, working on the fielding stuff, working on the on the mental side of the game. You know, one thing we, we've pretty consistently seen in the MLB is that when a guy has a, has a good bat, he's got a good bat. You can change the way you swing the ball. You're going to go through hot spills, cold spills, whatever. But if you know how to hit the baseball, put the ball on the bat, we're talking about Freddie Freeman, all fair, just a pure hitter. Guy can barrel up a ball and put the ball in play. Um, that's what he does. And, and Vaughn Grissom, um, you know, definitely has a natural knack to do that at such a young age. So to see him come out here in spring training, man, with all those question marks and really come out here and work as probably what he feels like he's trying to earn that day one starting spot at shortstop. And what we're starting to see is fans. Uh, Vaughn Grissom has definitely been the most impressive player to me this far. Yeah, and I think he's kind of elevated a little bit into like more of like a, uh, I guess you would say a pressured situation. Like you look at last year, we saw uh, Michael Harris come up, you know, a little bit later on in the year. Not later on, but you know, it wasn't opening day. It took him like a month or two to get up, and uh, at that point, it almost felt like no pressure because expectations weren't that high. I mean, outside of yeah. Braves fans, I don't. I mean, outside of like you know, pretty diehard Braves fans, I don't know if too many people really knew too much about this guy. Obviously. We knew a lot about him because he's a Henry County product, you know, hometown guy and, you know, top tier prospect in our organization. But nationally, he wasn't really a super known guy. So when he first came up, nobody was really expecting much from the kid. Um, he performed and, you know, obviously we saw he won rookie of the year, um, top five center fielder in baseball, like you just mentioned, where Von Grissom is completely different. We're talking about a fan favorite player with Dansby Swanson. We're talking about a guy that, you know, Braves fans love. Anybody in the city of Atlanta loved. and uh. You went a whole offseason expecting, you know, hoping, trying to fight for that starting shortstop position. And it almost seems like anytime you check the media, everybody was against you. I mean, you checked it. People were clamoring to sign Elvis Andrews to be the starting shortstop opening day, saying that, oh, uh, Orlando Arcia might win the starting shortstop job. And, you know, things could still happen. I mean, there's still free agents out there, I do want to say. You know, obviously, Angel from Simmons is still out there. He's a guy, you know, the name was still kind of tossed around. Uh, uh. Jose Iglesias is another name that got tossed around. 
But I think me and you, Kitty, we're probably on the same page right here. Um, I, I want to see them ride with Vaughn. I, and this isn't even anything he's done with spring training. Like, I, I don't even really care what he does this spring. I I know the bat's going to play up. I'm confident that, it, you know, the work he put in with Rod Washington in the offseason is going to pay off. He's going to be able to play, you know, at least a league average shortstop. And I think, I really do think with that bat he has, as long as he plays an average shortstop, he will be just fine because his bat is going to be, he's going to be a 280, 290 guy, 20 home runs, 20 stolen bases. I mean, that, that's what you're looking at with a guy like Von Person. Yeah, he's such a natural hitter, dude. Like I said a little bit ago, and with him being so young, this is another guy you talked about with Michael Harris. A lot of people didn't know about him. A lot of people really didn't know about Vaughn Grissom. I mean, this dude's a 11th round draft pick for the Braves. You know, we're, we're talking about prospects in this Braves farm system. It's a lot different talking about these prospects than talking about the Yankees prospects. Yeah. Because uh, you got you to gotta do some digging on these guys to get some information. And, um, you know, we, we get hyped up about guys like Vaughn Grissom. That, that dude, you know, with the hype that was around him in the Braves organization wouldn't be there with, you know, probably 28 other teams. So um, for him to be able to come up and produce at what he did last year and what he's doing right now, you know, all the praises in the world to him, dude. And yeah, I'm 100% on the Vaughn Grissom train. I would love to see this guy come in here and develop. And I just, I, I don't think the floor is, it, it, with Vaughn Grissom, I don't, I don't think the floor is low enough to just take his reps away for, for you know, somebody else that you could bring in, you know, maybe with a little bit more experience or whatever. And I love Orlando Arcia. We've talked about him a lot on the show. I really, really enjoy watching Orlando Arcia play. I love, Watching him hit, dude, I think he's really clutch. I think he's a good fielder. He's obviously got a hose. He can play all around the field, too. I mean, you can plug this guy in left field. He can play third. He can play short. He can play second. But he can do whatever, dude. Orlando Arcia is a is a really, really good baseball player in general. And this is a guy that, you know, when you're talking about a, a staple for your team moving forward, um, Orlando Arcia is just not that guy, you know, and Vaughn Grissom certainly is. So, Yeah, and I've kind of been like the, the notion to me that, the floor of, of Von Grissom, what we the, the bottom level play we can see is is pretty much equal to a guy like Angelton Simmons or a guy like Jose Iglesias or even a guy like Elvis Andrews, who obviously is signed right. with the Chicago White Sox since all those rumors swirled. And maybe even Orlando Arcia. Like I I mean we know Orlando. Orlando has decent pop, more like a 230, 240 hitter. I think that if Von Grissom's playing at the lowest level he could play at, it's gonna be somewhere around that caliber. So <laughs> um yeah. and at at twenty two years old, we'll take that all day. Yeah, because you're developing a guy. You know, you're getting ready. He's the shortstop of the future right now. Like he's yeah. he's the guy you're looking at right now to be the shortstop for the next seven to eight years. It, honestly, he comes down and has a crazy first half. Go ahead and expect the contract extension talks because it just seems like that's an automatic with the Braves. A guy yeah. comes out and shows out the major league level. He's going to get extended. He's going to get a nice little payday. They're going to reward him, um, especially at the position player level. Um, we have seen some pitchers kind of slip by. Obviously, Max Fried's coming in clutch on a uh, on a free agency thing. Uh, Kyle Wright still has not been extended, which is, you know, it is what it is. Um, we did get Strider locked up. Um, but yeah, man, I, I, I'm pumped about Vaughn. Um, let's go a little bit negative real quick. And I hate to go negative on this podcast because it is Braves talk. Baseball season's right around the corner. You hear the cleats on the, you hear the spikes on the, on the, on the, uh, on the concrete, which is beautiful. And, uh, I'm going to talk about some starting pitching and we're talking about a yeah. fifth, the fifth starting spot right here. And we've seen... Two of the guys that are like legit, or I guess you could say three of the guys that they listed off as legit competitors, that being Colby Allard, Bryce Elder, and Ian Anderson. Mike Soroka did suffer a hamstring issue, so he's, uh, I don't think it was like a strain or anything. I just think it was just hamstring tightness. So you're kind of taking a little slow with him, which I respect. I think that's the right move. But uh, 
let me just say I was not impressed with any of the three guys we saw. Uh, Allard was probably the most impressive, which is kind of weird to say. He started the opener for the Braves in spring. Um, exactly he did give up. What I was about to say. Yeah, he gave up three runs. Um, one earned. Austin Riley had a pretty bad error in the first inning. Uh, ground ball hit right to him. He kind of got crossed up by. It. That led to a couple runs, but he only had two. Uh, one earned run. I think he pitched like two or three innings pitched. Uh, two. I want to say. Um, he did look great. Um, you watch Kobe Allard. He's a guy that pumps eighty nine. Leaves a couple pitches down the middle. Gets hammered. That's kind of like. I went back and watched some of his tape with the with the Rangers. That was kind of his problem. Doesn't really have the velocity to miss, and he does happen to miss sometimes, and that's what kind of kills him. Um, yeah. Is there anything you want to say about Colby? No, I, I like Colby Allard. This is a guy that, you know, I don't want to dive too much into the analysis because I know we've already hit on him a lot. But, um, you know, of the guys that you just mentioned, he was probably probably the best-looking one. So uh, it, it's – Kind of odd to to be having this conversation, and I know we haven't seen much, guys. We're being super judgmental of oh, a yeah. very small sample size right now, but uh, you know, just you talk about what you can talk about, and all we can talk about is what four games. Yeah, and uh, the good thing is these guys are gonna get more starts. Like we're gonna see a lot more Ian Edison, a lot more Bryce Elder, a lot more Colby Allers, and uh, that kind of leads me to Ian. I'm gonna go Ian right here. Ian pitched an inning and a third, uh, three hits, four runs, three walks, one strikeout, two home runs. Uh, it, it, that that was a disappointing one. That was probably the most disappointing one to me because the whole glamour so far in camp was how Ian Anderson has started to develop a slider and how it was looked very, very good. I didn't get to watch this game. I don't even know if it was televised anywhere, but uh, I just looked at the box score and it was not very good. <laughs> Especially for a guy that like uh, is healthy, you know, two years ago was a guy that was a top, you know, he could have been a number two in most rotations. Um, last year, obviously the down year. This year, we're going into a big, you know, high hopes at the end. If Ian can get back to normal, this rotation is the best in baseball. <laughs> yeah. And we just didn't see that in the first game. Obviously, like you said, small sample size. Um, this is kind of hard to cover. <laughs> yeah, Ian, man, that was disappointing for sure. Um, partly because we we talked so much about Ian last year, and I think the biggest thing with Ian was with him getting sent down to AAA. He had re- a really good attitude about it. Mm-hmm. And kind of understood that he had to go develop his game a little bit, you know, get his stuff figured out, and uh, be able to come back up and compete for that for that spot in the starting rotation. And um, yeah, it wasn't a good first look for him, dude. It's going to put a uh, you know small sample size. We can say that a million times, but baseball is such a what have you done for me lately game mm-hmm. that um, just that one appearance right there is going to put a little bit of dirt in the eye of so many Braves fans out there, and um, it's going to have us looking at the next guy up and. It's going to have people just sitting back waiting on Soroka. Um, and unfortunately, the next guy we're probably going to talk about here is Mr. Bryce Elder, yeah. who also got shelled, dude. Um, so you talk about two of the three leading prospects for that fifth rotation spot in the in the, in the the starting pitching rotation that come out there and have pretty, pretty bad um, you know, first appearances. Yeah, Elder pitched uh, inning and in, inning in two thirds. Now it is notable to say he gave up four runs and four hits, but it was funny because all of those were to start the game. Um, four, sh- yeah. three, three straight singles. Then uh, he left a hanger to Jose Trevino, and obviously grand slam happened from there. Did have a walk, no strikeouts. Um, yeah, it, it's it's kind of the same thing with Colby Allard. Bryce Elder's just a guy that has to locate, and if he's not locating, he's gonna get hammered. He's not really your typical strikeout guy. Pitched a contact guy. I did want to mention this though, and this this is something. This is outside of Braves and. Clark Schmidt, a guy that's battling for a, a fifth starting spot with the Yankees, looked very, very, very good against the Braves. I noticed that when I was watching that game. Dude looked lights out. Um, five, Two innings pitched, five strikeouts, no hits, no walks. Um, I want to say the Braves got one hit in this game. I think we had one hit, and it was from, uh, let's see, 
Sam Hilliard was one. Yep, we had one hit. <laughs> Sam Hilliard hit a single. So, hey. I'll tell you one thing about this, uh, <clears throat> about the Braves pitching, is uh, a lot of these guys we've talked about in the offseason and the past couple episodes of who we're excited to see have looked really, really good coming out the bullpen. Yes, yes. Very, very good indeed. Um, we, we talked about Vic, uh, Victor Vodnik. Looked great. Um, Dylan Lee looked amazing. Rossell Iglesias looked amazing. Um, Kirby Yates got hit around a little bit. Um, so that's that's a little bit of a concern there because of what we've seen from Kirby in the past. But my boy Jared Schuster came out there, dealt, man. Um, a lot of these young guys coming out there and showing out. And then, uh, you know, obviously with Iglesias, we're not too worried about him. So we feel really, really good with him in that closing position. So for him to come out there and play good, uh, you, know, you kind of expect that. But it's good to see. You know, I got to mention my boy DV too, Darius Vines, big Darius Vines yes, guy sir. right here. Um, yes, sir. One inning pitch, one hit, three strikeouts. Uh, I think him, him and Schuster, obviously, are the two guys that are like the uh, the big red button on the desk. Um, yep. Emergency, boom, press the button, bring them up to the major leagues. And I would not be surprised we see either of those guys at any point this season. Um, starting pitching, pitching in general is weird in major leagues. Um, guy could you know get a blister on his finger and be out for two weeks, and that's when you have to yep. start making moves. And, you know, spring training is a weird thing in general. Colby Allard might not even make the team. Like, he might not even be in the Braves organization by the end of this thing. So, um, we have a couple a couple interesting interesting developments that that will kind of take place throughout this March. Um, yep. Good thing is, baseball starts this month, which is beautiful. <laughs> Official Major League Baseball. Also, MLB Show comes out this month. So, I know me and Kenny are very excited about that. Yes, sir. Um, is it time to get to our outfield breakdown now? Now that we got past a couple little spring training things. I'm ready to roll, baby. All right, so I heard you earlier. You said that you wanted, we're going to go ahead and talk about the big guys first. And uh, I feel like the easiest thing, the two the two cogs in the outfit, the two guys that we know are going to be there every single day. Um, let's start off with Ronnie. Um, yeah. Last week we played a little game where you asked me uh, questions about guys, and I had to say a short statement about all of them. Um, and I'm going to say this right now. I'm going to do it with Ronnie, best player in baseball. Hey. That's what we're going to see in 2023. Ronald Acuna is going to be the best player in the game. This guy, whenever you talk about pure talent on a baseball field, there's not many names you can mention above Ronald Acuna. This guy is, to me, um, when he's healthy and rolling and he gets hot, there's not you can't stop Ronald Acuna. Um, it is kind of bold to say that after Aaron Judge just hit, what, 62 home runs last year <laughs> with over a 300 batting average, but man, the way this guy plays the outfield, the way this guy runs the bases, the way this guy makes contact with the ball, how fast his swing is, the quick hands, man. This guy is a true five-tool player, and I think people are starting to forget about that. Just because of last year, guy came back way earlier than expected, battled, you know, knee soreness and stuff all throughout the season. Just take, you know, was was busting through it, didn't complain, kept on going out there playing ball, and he actually finished with a pretty solid season. The power wasn't there, ground ball rate was pretty high. Um, and I think majority of that was just because he didn't really trust that need to really elevate on the ball. This year is going to be different. That launch angle is going to be back, and he is going to start launching balls again. And whenever Ronald does that, good luck to the rest of the league because it is hard to stop him. Yeah, dude, I mean, what more can you say about Ronald Acuna? Um, this is a generational talent. He's 25 years old. He's been amazing since he's been in the league. Um, what, five years in the majors this far? He's posted a just under a 900 OPS with a 277 batting average. Um, it, it's it's ridiculous what we can see from Ronald Acuna. And um, 
I'm just super excited to see him back healthy, man. A full offseason to kind of get his stuff back. You see all the hype around him. I think he's projected to lead the MLB in stolen bases this year. They got him talking about 40, 45 stolen bases this year, which is crazy. Um, and then everybody knows about the power, dude. Everybody yeah. knows what this dude can do in the batter's box. He can absolutely destroy a baseball and turn a, a baseball game upside down for any opposing team. He is just a game wrecker from every aspect. Defensively, he's elite. Um, on the base pass, he's you know arguably the best in the league. He's uh, one of the best pure hitters in the league. He's an amazing power hitter. Um, he's clutch. He it just what Ronald Acuna can do on a consistent basis on a baseball field is one of the most ridiculous things that we've ever seen. And um, I'm just I I can't tell you how excited I am to see this dude come back healthy, ready to go day one, and just come out here and post a MVP caliber season. Yeah, and it feels so good to kind of have the enemy on your team because I think everybody knows Ronald Acuna is the enemy. Um, people hate Ronald <laughs> outside the Braves organization. It seems like a lot of fan bases don't really enjoy the man. And uh, as a Braves fan, we love it. <laughs> Please make that man your enemy because I love when he goes up there and hits 440 foot taters on you and takes 30 seconds to round the bases. It's amazing. Um, we exactly. see it night in, night out with the Hawks and Trey Young. Um, finally, having that bad, bad boy, you know, type thing on the team is is awesome. And I feel like in Atlanta. Especially, especially, you know, Atlanta baseball, we never really experienced that before, Ronald. We didn't really ever have the enemy. We always had, like, the good old, you know, go out there, play hard-nosed ball, you know, keep your mouth shut and continue on. It's a new game nowadays, and Ronald Acuna really, really represents the new era of baseball better than anybody else to me. Um, you got guys like Jazz and, you know, um, Tatis, guys that go out there and have fun and play. But, man, Ronnie, Ronnie's that guy, man. In a game and in a league with a lot of young talent, we cannot forget that Ronald Acuna is the only player in baseball history to post at least 50 home runs and 50 stolen bases in his first two years in the MLB. That is wild, and I don't know if anybody's going to catch that number. Um, I was going to say Money Mike, but I'm pretty sure that would have to be like a 30-40 season from him <laughs> to even... To, to get there. Um, I don't know what J-Rod's numbers are. I would assume that he might have a chance. Um, but that is very intriguing. That is that is an intriguing stat. And not know 50-50 in the first two seasons. It's beautiful. Crazy. And let's go to Money Mike. Um, Henry County boy, sure. local product. We love him. Um, he's going to be your everyday center fielder against lefties, against righties. Um, ton of pop. Obviously, probably the best defensive outfielder in baseball, in my opinion. Um, covers a ton of ground out there. Almost like me and Kenny are getting to experience Andrew Jones. You go back and, you know, you see the Andrew Jones highlights from back in the day, and everybody's like, this guy was just different. Now we're getting to see that modern day, and that guy is Michael Harris, Um, yep. obviously from the left side in the batter's box. Um, makes good contact with the ball. Um, I have a negative to say about Michael Harris, and it's not a negative at all. Sophomore slump is is kind of in a lot of people's eyes right now because of, you know, his batted ball luck last year. It did seem like he did get a little bit lucky. Um, strikes out a good bit, which is kind of uh, worrisome. I don't think he's going to slump. I think he'll be right back to normal smacking the ball around the field. But it is something to kind of pay attention to because he was a little bit above his head last year in the batter's box. Yeah, I mean, he just had a ridiculous year. I mean, obviously, National League <laughs> Rookie of the Year, uh, 13th in MVP voting. This dude is... Uh, He's a freak. He had a crazy year. He's so young, dude. He's mm -hmm. what? 20, he's 21, 22? He's born in 01. It's nuts. That's ridiculous to think about. Um, Younger than both of us. 
Yeah, I mean, the sophomore slump is, is definitely a thing. It's a real thing. And, um, you know, we can sit here and we can talk about, you know, what we expect to see from Michael Harris. But you give me a guy that you, – you give me a guy that hit for 297 last year with an 853 OPS, 19 homers, 64 RBIs, and 114 games. And uh, you tell me he's going to regress a little bit. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, I'll t- I'll take it for sure. Um, I don't think I I think honestly I think his legs and his defense, even if he does you know tend to slump a little bit offensively, he's still going to be a three four win player just from you know defense and, and base running and stuff alone. Um, if he it, he's the type of guy that if he can figure out how to put the ball in play a little bit more, um, the batting average is going to be there. I mean, this guy can this guy can fly. Michael Harris is a legitimate like thirty stolen base type guy if he can just figure out a way to get on first base more consistently. <laughs> uh, we kind of seen that with Ozzy too. Ozzy's kind of like your typical, you know, boomer bust type guy, double home run, yeah. if not probably going to strike out. And he's another guy that has potential, you know, be a 30 stolen base guy. We just haven't really seen it because the lack of getting on first base. <laughs> yeah. um, bigger bases and stuff, we have kind of seen it in spring training, though teams are are legitimately trying to steal bases more often. We've, you know, seen a lot of the stealing attempts happen over the past, you know, week in spring training. And you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how that translates to the uh, you know regular season. Obviously, teams are going to play a lot differently in the regular season whenever games do matter. But I think guys like Ronald and guys like Mike, that's going to help their total value a lot more just with base running alone. Because we already know Ronald has the green light at any time. He's going to steal 30, 40 bases if healthy. Um, we haven't seen it from Mike yet, but I, I honestly think he's going to be right there with him. I agree. Especially you think about the, uh, the bags a little bit bigger this year. Seems like every time we saw Ronald get thrown out last year was by a shoestring, mm-hmm. and um, you know you extend those extend those bags a little bit, make that uh, make that path from first to second a little bit shorter, and uh, curious to see what kind of damage this dude can, can put on the base pass. And uh, Michael Harris right there with him. I just developed a question in my mind, and I'm gonna wait till after we get done with this breakdown right here. So remind me after we get done with the breakdown, I have a question for you because I might forget it. I'm not gonna forget the question, but I might forget to ask you the question. So. Try to keep that in your head too. We got two minds on it. <laughs> with just money, Mike, or no? It's with every. It's with it's with the whole team. Okay. That's why I wanted to get the breakthrough done first. So, okay. All right, let's walk it over to left field. We'll go ahead and start with Eddie. Um, I, I'm assuming Eddie's probably going to be your guy. Uh, yep. But uh, probably majority of the time, at least to start the season, if he can get hot, he'll keep that job. Obviously, he slumps. So we have a lot of guys we're going to talk about later that are in sights for that left field job as well. Um. Eddie's a guy that if you look back just two years ago, this guy's always been a consistent major league hitter. Um, always the type of guy that's going to get you a 260, 270 batting average, 20-plus power, 20-plus home run power. Um, you know, pretty decent on the base pass, honestly. Not the worst base run in the world. Um, and he provides a lot of value. Um, we mentioned it earlier. We were talking about this before the podcast. He doesn't walk much. Strikes out a decent bit. But, man, whenever Eddie is, you know, spraying the ball all the way around the field, that's when Eddie's at his best. He liked to yank the inside pitch over the, over the right field wall. And, you know, when he takes anything outside, he doesn't hit it hard. He just gets it, you know, in play and gets it, you know, shallow left field. And that works in his game. And if he can maintain to do that this coming up season, Eddie's going to be just fine in left. He's a guy that actually hits lefties and righties, you know, pretty evenly. If you look at his career splits, he doesn't really slack against lefties. I want to say that he has a couple seasons where he hit lefties better than righties. So he he is a guy that probably play there every day. I do think we'll lean towards a platoon with some guys we'll talk about a little bit later, um, at least early on in the season. And, uh, yeah, man, I, I'm excited to see Eddie Peck. Uh, I know last year was kind of a, a, a weird season for him. Had the eye issue where he was out for, started out the season terrible, went out for 
like two months and then came back and honestly didn't really heat up too much. Was hitting the ball a little bit better, but not great. And, uh, you know, he if he can just get back to what he was, you know, just two seasons ago, we'll be just fine out there in left field. Defense, uh, I can't get off Eddie Rosario without talking about the defensive questions. He's not a great fielder. I think Braves fans know that. He's, he's not going to make every play out there. But the best thing is when you have a guy like Michael Harris next to him in center field, uh, Michael will help him cover a lot of ground in the gaps. And uh, Eddie has the range. I think it's just the glove is more of the issue. Yeah, it was Eddie Rosario. People forget this was a guy with the- Hey, Kenny, your mic got real quiet for some reason. Is that any better? No. Uh, How about I'm, now? Yes, you're right. Perfect. I don't know, I don't know what happened. Um, Eddie Rosario is a guy that a lot of people kind of, you know, his name gets swept under the rug a little bit. And, and this is a guy with a 162 game average in a career with a 270 batting average, 767 OPS, um, 24, or excuse me, hold on, 86 RBIs and 25 homers and 162 game average over his career. This is, those numbers are, are nuts, dude. That, that's a really, really, really solid season from a guy that we're talking about being a rotational piece in left field with, mm-hmm. you know, a couple guys we're going to mention here coming up. Um, and I think the biggest question with Eddie is, is number one, the health, because last year he did battle the eye thing. Um, and that really was a, a detriment to his fielding ability. Like you mentioned, he's not the best fielder in the world, but he's dang sure better than the guy we're going to talk about next. And um, with him coming, you know, hopefully he got the eye thing all figured out coming into a season where he, he, he can come in healthy day one. Um, he's going to be good enough to get the job done in left field. Um, he's not going to be a liability out there, I, I would like to, to think. He wouldn't be. Um, but this is a guy that you, you take the potential of what he can do from the batter's box and what we've seen him do in a Braves uniform. You talk about the World Series run, man. This dude was, uh, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do it without Eddie Rosario and the, you know, Ronald Acuna being out. Like the, the way he was able to step up for this Braves team was so huge. Um, and you're right, man. If he could just get back to a fraction of what he was, especially you talk about the, the depth we've got in the outfield across the board and the flexibility we have to kind of plug and play guys in a different spot. We talk about Orlando Arcia. Duke can play left field. Um, we're going to talk about Marcelo Zuna next, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, you talk about a platoon ability with this guy. He does hit pretty well for both sides of the plate um, or from, from you know, both sides of the mound, I should say, righties and lefties. Um, I like Eddie Rosario a lot, man. I, I expect him. I'm not saying I expect him to come back in and, and have a, you know, 40 or a, a freaking what he hit dang oh my mind is slipping me like a 30 plus home run season yeah i'm just thinking about you know some of the crazy numbers he posted you know with the twins back early on in his career i'm not saying we expect him to come back and, and you know put up those crazy numbers like he did back when he was getting mvp votes and you know considered in the rookie of the year conversation coming out in 2015 but you know for eddie rosario to come in here and be able to contribute to a team and the worst spot on the depth chart and left field um you know we talk about so many things with the with the the starting pitching rotation and how we're out here nitpicking talking about who we're going to put in the fifth starting spot when the four guys that we have are absolutely elite mm-hmm. ahead of that it's just, it's no different here in left field you talk about all the position players from catcher to right field to every, you know, across the infield, across the outfield, for the left field to be the weakest spot, and Eddie Rosario is who we're talking about being the day one starter in left field. That's a pretty good weak spot. Yeah, that is a damn good weak spot. I agree with you 100% on that. That was really, really well stated. Um, 
and you kept on you kept on foreshadowing a little bit right there. And I, I like it. I like it because now we're about to take it to the DH spot. And this is where we talk about the man that people either love or hate. I think most people hate. Um, I think me and Kenny are a little bit more on the love side. We'll give our boy Marcel a little bit of love. Um, and like I said, Marcel Ozuna. DH, I'm assuming opening day. He'll probably be your DH to start the season. Um, Marcel, man. Marcel is a guy that you talk about almost in the same aspect as Eddie Rosario. Besides, in Marcel's career, he is a more dynamic hitter than Eddie Rosario. Um, yep. Marcel Ozuna is legitimate, like, 30-plus power type guy. Um, you know, probably more of like a 260, 250 type batting average type guy. Um, he's not a defender. We know that about Marcel by now. He's, you know, getting into his mid-30s now. He's he's was never an elite defender, even though he did win a gold glove one year, which is very, very funny. Um, <laughs> never been a super elite defender, and now especially not. I don't, I don't, I hope this guy never touches the grass in the outfield. Um, just let this man be the DH for a little bit. Get that bat hot. I am on the side, man, and it is kind of hard to say this now because it's been what almost three seasons now since we've seen it. Two seasons, two full seasons since we've seen it. Um, I think Marcel is going to come around, and he is a guy that you look at the batted ball numbers. He hits the ball hard every year, year in, year out. He hits the ball hard. Hits into bad luck. Um. I think he's going to turn it around outside of that one COVID year where he was second, like I think second place in MVP votes um, behind Freddie. And he almost won a triple crown. This dude has always had bad luck. That's the only thing about Marcel that is intriguing. Even with St. Louis and Miami, he was also the same type guy where he was, you know, hitting crazy hard exit velocities and still not getting the best, you know, most productive numbers. But if we can just get a Marcel Azuna that hits 27 to 30 home runs, uh, bats 240, um, we'll be just fine at the DH spot because he is your typical DH. Like you look at Marcel Zuna's, you know, batting ball profile, you know, his inability to play the field. He seems like the perfect guy to throw out there at DH. And I, I think that's the move the Braves going to make at least, you know, for the first month or so of the season. Yeah. I like the comparison you made there with Eddie Rosario, because this is another guy. When you look at his you know, 162 game average through his career, posted a 782 career OPS with a 268 batting average averages 27 homers and 94 RBIs. Um, those are also crazy, crazy numbers from a guy in Marcelo Zuna that we've talked bad about for about two years now. Yeah. Um, going through kind of the struggles that he's gone through on and off the field. Um, obviously the big layering issue with him is the fielding. Um, so you plug him in there at that DH spot. I think, man, it, we're going to, I sound like a broken record because I keep talking about how there's, you know, weak spots on the team that aren't really weak and how we fill a weak spot with a guy whose name is Eddie Rosario mm-hmm. and Marcelo Zuna. Not to mention the the other depth guys that we're going to talk about here coming up, um, and you just feel really good about it, man. And and with Marcelo Zuna, the comparison between him and Eddie Rosario, I think, is is such a good comparison because you're going to get similar production from these two guys. But the big difference in the two is Marcelo Zuna is a lot more dynamic from a power aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the crazy thing with Marcelo Zuna is that we expect him to come out here and hit 25 plus home runs, but we wouldn't be surprised if he hit 30. We wouldn't be surprised if he hit 35. Like mm-hmm. if this if the, if he comes out here and plays consistently for the rest of the year, this is a guy that could come out here and post, you know, top five, top ten home run numbers. And that's crazy to think about with Marcelo Zuna because all we've heard are negative things about him for two solid years. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I, I side with you here, Jake, because I think Marcelo Zuna will regress to the mean a little bit and get back to how he has been throughout his career. I mean, you even talk about how we played last year, man. It, it really wasn't terrible, you know, all things considered. And, um, yeah, the production that he was able to provide last year 
you know, even with the terrible fielding and, and the weird situations that we were in injury-wise and everything, um, you give something similar to that in the DH spot with a better team all around from every other position, and um, I feel really good about them there. Yeah, I mean, last year you look at it, 23 home runs and 507 plate appearances. Uh, you did get that bumped up. He's an everyday DH. He's going to be looking at around 600. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's going to hit 25-plus bombs. And like you said, that's a bad season. That was a bad season last year yeah. for Marcel. If Marcel gets back to, you know, prior to 2019, any any season prior to 2019, he, like I said, he's a 240-type guy, 250-type guy, you know, going to, like, the media. And he did have a couple seasons where he was sitting a little bit higher, but I'm, I'm not going to expect batting average to really take a super big jump. It's just yeah. the power numbers. Um, that's the only thing you really need to worry about with Marcel Azuna, guys. Uh, he's don't, don't take it too deep of a dive with, with batting average. If he's a guy that goes out there and has a couple, you know, one for four nights a week with home runs, you're fine with it. We'll take it full on because – He's not a guy that's going to bat in the middle of your lineup. You'd listed off the 162 game average numbers, and that is a middle of the lineup bat. I mean, a guy that hits around 270 with damn near 30 home runs a season, 100 RBIs, that is a typical, you know, third, fourth hitter in most major league lineups. Um, we're talking about a guy that's probably going to be batting at the bottom end of the lineup. So if he can just give you any type of production down there, um, it's, it's going to be curious. Uh, and it, it is funny we talk about the DH spot a little bit. I'm going to mention the catchers. Uh, Travis Darno and Sean Murphy, but honestly, if you look at their numbers, I don't know if they're going to provide much better offensive value. That's the weird thing about catching in general is that like you look at catchers and you know they might be great offensive players as a catcher, but as right. a DH, I mean, you're just looking at an average old player. <laughs> that, that's kind of the weird thing. Like I don't know if you throw Travis Darno out there and give him 500 at bats at DH if he's going to give you much more offensive value. If you know what I mean. Yeah, and you talk about the average thing too. I know batting average is a super wash stat, and oh, it's yeah. over. People talk about it all the time. It's just it's it's not the it's not the meta anymore. It's not what we use to compare a good player. Um, there's so many other stats and so many other avenues you can go to to judge a guy's production for your team. But even if you just talk about the average dude, I mean Marcelo Zuna. This is a guy that's been in the league for nine years now, playing in the bigs. He's only posted a sub two forty batting average twice in his career. Once was 2021, where he played 48 games, and once was last year, where he played 124, hit 226, and hit 23 bombs. Mm-hmm. So in a nine-year stint, we've seen this guy go sub-240 twice, one a super limited year, and one a year where he still gave us 56 RBIs and 23 bombs. Like, you take that every single day of the week. I'm going to say this offensively, and this is going to be kind of bold to say. Offensively, the floor for Marcelo Zuna is Adam Duvall. In my opinion, I, I honestly think that the floor for Marcelo Zuna this year, if he gets the plate appearances, is going to be a 210-220 type hitter with, you know, 25-plus home run power. And, you know, the difference is that people glamour for Adam Duvall, which rightfully so. He's a great personality. Um, You know, obviously he's battled some health conditions, still playing through. I, I want to say he has diabetes, which is, you know, a you know very inspiring thing. Um. And then you look at the other side of the field, Marcelo Zuna has a lot of controversial um, character flaws. Now, I will say that, you know, the the whole domestic violence thing was, you know, kind of up in the air. I don't think you've really gotten a ton of trouble from that realistically. And I do think the DUI charges were dropped after uh, he did pass his field sobriety test and they still arrest him for a DUI. And I think they came out and said that was not right, um, which is, you know, people are still going to see the whole headline and say that, oh, he got arrested for a DUI. They didn't really follow up from that, though, so... You know, I'm hoping, I'm, I'm rooting for the guy. And every Braves fan out there should be. I know there's going to be a select, you know, group of Braves fans that will not be. But this guy's on your team right now. Um, 
you look at him in the dugout, you look at him in the clubhouse. I there's no no indication at all that he is a you know a bad guy for the team. If he was a bad guy for the team, the Braves are one of the best ran organizations in the sport. I don't think he would still be on this baseball team. So he has to be providing something. And obviously it wasn't the play on the field last year. It has to be something else. And I'm assuming that is, you know, locker room type things. And, you know, maybe he's just confident that he's going to get back normal. The team is confident he's going to get back. That is what my hope is. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this dude's a really, really good baseball player. And um, you put a really, really good baseball player on the team that I root for every single day, um, I'm going to support him. Yes, 100%. No doubt. That's really all there is to it for me. All right, let's go to the next most intriguing guy. And I think that most Braves fans would agree it's probably Jordan Luplo. I think that yep. he's probably your most likely guy to be on that uh, opening day roster. We have a couple guys to go through in the outfield, but this is the guy that is almost 100% sure going to be on the opening day roster. Um, yep. Luplo is intriguing. Luplo is kind of the guy that everybody circles to be that outfield platoon with Eddie Rosario, a guy that you know is going to be your primary left fielder against lefties. Um, and for the most part, this guy does have some really, really, really good pop. Very intriguing pop. I mean, he's a guy that has not really had much experience. And I'm not saying that from like a, a perspective of like seasons played. He has been in the big league since 2017. He has a six-year career. But he's never had more than 261 plate appearances in a season, which is kind of wild. Um, But, you know, he has had two seasons where he's had, you know, he's had three of his six seasons has where he's had 10 or more home runs. And like I just mentioned, he's never had a season over 261 plate appearances. Um, that is pretty intriguing in itself. Uh, obviously, excuse me, who almost just died. Obviously, yeah. this guy has has legitimate power, um, can mash. And, you know, the Braves love to bring that type of guy in. Um, we are an organization that tries to bring these guys in that are more of like, you know, last year the guy hit 176. Um, bring him in, and he will become a hometown hero. Um, we saw it last year with Robbie Grossman. This just seems like the 2023 version of Robbie Grossman right here. I'm super high on Luplo. Um, I was really, really excited about this move when we brought this guy in. Um, MLB The Show legend. You're a BRT. Oh, yeah. Love you, Jordan. Um, this is another guy, man. I, I keep talking about the 162-game averages. You talk about a guy in Jordan Luplo. The average is not there. Um, we talk about the, how the average stat is just a super wash stat. We don't really talk about it much anymore. But 162-game average for this guy in six years in the big, 745 OPS. 23 bombs with the 213 batting average. That's definitely the glaring spot here. One thing about Jordan Luplow that I'm going to say, very, very unlucky hitter. Um, this is a guy that last year in 2022 posted a 185 uh, batting average on balls in play. Yeah. This is a dude that can put a baseball in the air. Yes, and, he will. Um, when he elevates, it is very, very good, and you get some really, really good quality offensive production from this guy. And on a Braves team where we kind of live by the long ball, we've kind of seen how this team has done that over the years. And um, you bring in a righty bat and Jordan Luplo to come out there and kind of, you know, like you mentioned, platoon with Eddie um, and kind of give some, some more versatile options with uh, Marcel being the everyday DH, which is what we're expecting um, I love Luplo, dude. Um, one thing that I mentioned to Jake before we got on the air, and I don't have the stat right here in front of me memorized, so I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it here. But Jordan Luplo has played six years in the bigs. He has only played over 60 games three times. 
in the three seasons that he played more than 60 games, he posted a 923 OPS, a 780 OPS, and a 634 OPS. So this is a 770, 70, 80, or 770, 780 OPS guy when he's gotten significant playing time. Um, I fully expect to see him play more than 60 games for this Braves team this year. I would love to see those numbers stay about right there for Jordan Luplo. No, I agree. And something else I'm kind of looking at whenever I'm looking at Luplo, this guy walks a good bit. This guy gets on base a Good bit of time. You look back at 2021 um, with Cleveland. I mean, he had a 173 batting average, but a 331 on base percentage. The dude walked 21 times in 121 plate appearances. Like, he he will walk. Um, last year, yeah. a 176 batting average with a 274 on base percentage. We're talking about a guy that consistently has 100 points improved on his on base percentage for his batting average. So, a guy that can get on base at, at a decent clip. Um, obviously, I, I, like, honestly, we're talking about a guy that, you know, if you play him every day, he's probably going to get on base as much as Ozzy will. I, <laughs> and it's kind of wild to say, because Ozzy's a guy that you look at to be like a, you know, a, the featured player on this Braves team, but he'll, he'll probably post, you know, a 330, 320-something on base percentage, which is pretty similar to what Ozzy puts up year in, year out. Obviously, yep. Ozzy's going to give you more of like a 260, 270 batting average. He just doesn't walk a ton. That's more of his issue. But if you get on base at a clip, you know, People like me and you, we've kind of realized all base percentage is kind of outdueled the batting average number nowadays. Um, I think people kind of realized that during the Bryce Harper epidemic in Washington when he was hitting 220, but he was still hyped up for being one of the best players in baseball because he was putting up like a 400 on base percentage. Same thing with Joey Gallo. He kind of went through that whole thing with Texas. Um, yeah, a guy that walks a lot, has a lot of power. Um, I don't think you can really go wrong with it. It's kind of like one of those Joey Gallo light type deals where you go, you go get a guy that can, you know, pop one out the park, you know, yep. almost any time. But you also get on base, you know, for your for your sluggers up top, which is nice. General baseball knowledge question here for you, Jake. Um, we talk a lot about the shift and how it affects lefties. How does the shift affect right-handed hitters that have a tendency to pull the ball a lot? It will affect them the same way. You'll see teams kind of shift a little bit on righties, nowhere near as drastically on power-hitting lefties, just because, for the most part, the majority of the big-time power hitters are lefty bats. I mean, you look around Major League Baseball, I mean, you look at Jordan Alvarez and Freddie Freeman and uh, Bryce Harper and Juan Soto, all these guys, they like to yank the ball. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like you look at a righty's approach, you'll see a lot more of a spray. Um, you know, you look at guys like Trout and Mookie and, you know, obviously Austin Riley. These guys will hit the ball over the park. But like I said, there is a always a shift the other way. The only problem is when you're, when you're shifting against a lefty, you know, you kind of had that rover whenever the shift was still alive. And our rover was Austin Riley. He played that shallow right field. Um, if they pulled a ball to him and it got to him, it's a short throw to first base. If you were to shift a guy in shallow left field, um, that's a really, really long throw to first base. You're probably not going to get that out anyways. Like, right. unless the runner is Pablo Sandoval. Like, there's yeah. not a great chance of getting that out. So I, don't, I just don't think we really see the shift as drastically to the left side or to the right side of the infield just because of... Uh, you know, the distance of the throw to first. Well, and the reason I ask that is because when I'm looking at Jordan Luplo's advanced numbers, this is a guy that has a, that tends to pull the baseball about 10% higher than the league average. Okay. With a batting average of balls in play, 110 points lower than the league average of 295 with a 185. 
So I'm curious to see if any of these shift rule changes affect the his on base percentage and how he can get the ball. Um, you know, like like we talked, this dude can do a lot of damage when he elevates the baseball. Um, be curious to see if that changes at all. Um, I mean, this dude pulls dang near forty percent of every ball he touches, which is kind of crazy to think about with the league average of twenty eight point nine. Mm. Um, so just you know, something to think about there. Some food for thought. No, it is an intriguing thought too because you know sometimes against righties you'll see that shortstop kind of move a little bit closer to that third base spot just so that the ball can't really get in the hole on him because you know whenever you're playing at a normal shortstop position the ball gets in the hole it's a hard throw to make. Um, and, you know, back then you could always just bring your second baseman just right over the second base bag and just kind of have him yeah. in the middle. The only problem this year is is that if you do that, you're now leaving a huge hole at the middle. You're leaving like a 60-foot hole across the middle. And I don't know if there's going to be any team out there bold enough to do that. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I will say the shift being banned is definitely a big deal. Um, but, you know, the second baseman can still play basically right at the second base bag or, you know, vice versa. Shortstop can still play like right at the second base bag. They just have to be on the side of it. So, you know, there still will be shifting um, per se. It's just not going to be nearly as drastic. Obviously, guys like Matt Olson, like you can't put your second baseman right behind the first baseman just to cover that hole. Because yeah. then you have a, like I said, 60 foot hole between the second base and the shortstop. And if anything's hit up the middle, it's going to be, you know, up the middle for a base hit. So I do think the shift is going to benefit any player, lefty or righty, that tends to pull the ball a good bit. That's definitely Mr. Luplo here. Yeah, I see that right now. Um, damn near 40% pull percentage. <laughs> Crazy. Um, next guy. All right. So this is where it kind of gets a little bit cloudy. Um, it is a trio of guys i would say i think there's three guys that kind of fit this mold for this you know i guess you would say fifth outfielder spot which i do think the braves will keep on the roster um orlando's gonna be probably on the bench and he's gonna be a guy that can cover any middle any infield spot and also a little bit of outfield like you mentioned earlier um so i don't really see a need of keeping another infielder and uh I i'm gonna go with my guy right here and that's gonna be sam hilliard um formerly from the colorado rockies and uh, the main reason I'm going to go with Sam Hilliard, because whenever we made this trade, it was kind of like a circle. It was kind of like, okay, we got this guy, and look at his career stats. Nobody cares about this dude. Like, he, he's never put up numbers in his life. And then you hear all this intriguing stuff about him. 6'5", 240, hits the ball hard, can run, can play a good outfield, has all the tools in the world, just has not been able to put it together at the major league level. Look at the minor league stats. This guy rakes in the minor leagues. He puts up insane numbers in the minor leagues every time he goes down. Um, he seems like a perfect project piece. Um, we talked about Marcel before the podcast. We're talking about, well, if Marcel doesn't work out, it seems like this outfield room is going to get a little bit, you know, more like scurried around. This is a, this is one of the guys along with Luplo that could legitimately get like legit playing time midway through the season. If things were to go wrong, you know, with Marcel or Eddie. Um, and then the primary reason behind that is, is I'm assuming that if Marcel does not work out, he's going to be cut. He's going to be DFA'd. You're going to move Eddie Rosario to the primary DH spot because we talked about his outfield problems earlier, and that's going to leave you with Jordan Luplo and Sam Hilliard as your platoon in left field. Um, that's just a little idea, obviously. That's way foreshadowing of, of the season. I, I don't, we, None of us know what's going to happen. But, uh, yeah, man, Hilliard hits the ball hard. Look at his hit. You get his hard hit percentage. It's insane. I mean, we talk about Luplo's numbers. Hilliard has, like, 10 points on Luplo's hard hit percentage, which is yeah. wild to think about. And he's a guy that, like, Outside, like Luplo is a little bit opposite because you can kind of pull up stats and like defend Luplo. 
Hilliard has no major league stats to defend this guy. Like, you cannot pull up a single number on this dude to be like, okay, he's going to be a great major league hitter. He's going to be a even like an adamant major league hitter. There's nothing to prove it. This is going to be a guy that Bryce had to bring into the organization and work on. Because if you can work on him, he has all the tools in the world to be a, you know, a legitimate outfielder. Yeah. I think my favorite thing, and I'm with you on Sam Hilliard. This is definitely the guy that I have here. My favorite thing with Sam Hilliard is that he's got a pretty impressive spray chart, dude. Um, this dude can hit the ball around the field. That's a little bit different than what we talked about with Jordan Luplo, especially from a lefty hitter. You you just mentioned it when we talked about righties and lefties and how the shift can affect different guys and how a lefty power hitter has a tendency to pull the ball a lot more. And, uh, you know, a defense will, you know, kind of cheat to that. Um, this is a guy whose pull percentage is right on par with the league average. It's 55.5% of his batted balls to center field um, and can go oppo as well. So I, I, I like this guy from that aspect. This is a guy that can give you a little bit more diversity and hit the ball around the park. Um, obviously, uh, a home run friendly park in Truist uh, will benefit this guy's game a little bit. Um, you can't really compare it to where he's coming from in Colorado because obviously he's not really gaining anything there with Colorado being the most home, home run friendly park in the league. Um, but, uh, this is another guy with a really impressive 162 game average, man. We're talking about a 770, 717 OPS, a 212 batting average, which is right there with Luplo, um, 22 homers and 54 RBIs in 162 games. Um, and a pretty small sample size from a guy in Sam Hilliard who we've only seen four years in the bigs. Um, I I'm excited about this guy. And, um, you kind of got me more excited talking about some of the advanced numbers before we hopped on the air. So uh, I'm with you, dog. I'm gonna ride this one out. I'm I'm a big uh, I'm a big fan of this. Let's go, man. I, I this is kind of like it's kind of weird to say it's like the Braves uh, mojo. Like I, I we're not fans of other teams, so we can't really see the outlook of how they feel about their team. But as Braves fans, we kind of feel like if we bring guys in and they have the tools to make it, um, they're going to make it. Like it just feels like we bring in like, um, you know, these guys on these one year deals, like these these lottery ticket guys. It just seems like you know more often than not they cash out like we we are getting a payday from um mm -hmm. i mean we seen it I mean, we list off just names after names with you know eddie rosario was a lottery ticket jorge soler was a lottery ticket jock peterson was a lottery ticket robbie grossman was a lottery ticket it seems like these outfielders that come in because everybody thinks the outfield is weak and all of a sudden you bring these guys in and they're just like at like adequate players like solid major league guys and i think that's what we're going to get similar this year we have two more guys to mention, which is insane because, you know, left field was the question mark and the Braves might not have went out and made that big splash, but we definitely got a plethora of guys to choose from. And uh, this is where it gets hard because there are two guys, one of them definitely more experienced than the other, but the other one might have a little bit more intriguing upside to me. So I'm going to go with Eli White as my third one. Um, do you agree with that? Yep, I'm with you. Okay, and Eli White. There's two key reasons why I'm going with Eli White. This guy is not a great hitter. Uh, I don't think that the hit tool is really ever going to be there. Another guy, you look at his minor league numbers, he does hit well in the minor leagues, um, but just really has never produced great in the major leagues. This guy has a 185 career batting average. Eli White is very, very good for one specific reason, or two specific reasons, I should say. Amazing defender in the outfield, one of the better defensive outfielders in baseball, and absolutely elite speed on the base pass this guy is a perfect you know defensive replacement late in games pinch runner late in games i don't think he's going to make the opening day to roster just because of the two guys we mentioned before this but i do think that if injuries happen injuries occur that he is a guy that get, could potentially make a push for that for that major league roster um he has played a little bit of games in the infield um i think he's played two games at second base in his career so i don't really count him as an infielder too much 
But, man, last year he opened a lot of people's eyes with that defense, with the outfield uh, defense he played. Yeah, you talk about the base running with this guy. Um, really impressive numbers from this dude here. Uh, 12 stolen bases last year with a 92% stolen base percentage. That is by far above the MLB average. Also, the extra bases taken percentage from this guy, 67% above the league average of 41. This dude can burn, dog. Mm -hmm. um, he can put the bat on the ball, and he can get after it. And on a uh, Braves team where we love seeing Ron Washington wave that windmill arm at third base. When guys are rounding first, headed to second, getting ready to round second, headed to third, this is a guy that can uh, be a little bit of a demon for this Braves team, especially you talk about some of the other bats that we have, guys that can hit for average, guys that can put the ball in play and uh, you know bring some runs across. I love um, having a guy like Eli White on the roster um, on top of the elite defense that you just mentioned. Yeah, Eli White almost seems like your stash type guy. Like, yeah. not make the opening day roster, stash him down in AAA, and all of a sudden, you know, August, September, he gets called up. Something happens, or, you know, September call-ups happen. And he kind of takes on the Billy Hamilton type role we saw a couple of years ago, where this guy is just, like, electric. Like, you, he just comes yeah. on the field, and you're like, oh, my God, let's go. Eli White's Eli, Eli White's pinch running in the bottom of the ninth in a one-run game. Like, I'm pumped now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't think his odds of making the uh, opening day roster are great, um, but I do think that he could make an impact at the major league level this year for sure. Agreed. All right, so the last guy, and I almost feel ashamed for making this guy the last guy because he has been a damn good major league baseball player for a long time now, and that's Mr. Kevin Pillar. Um, I, I think baseball fans around, you know, everywhere know this name. He's probably the most notable name we've mentioned out of all four of these, you know, fourth outfield type guys. And, uh, the main reason that he's not so much super notable anymore is because the bat just hasn't played great the past two seasons. I mean, you look back at 2020, I will say he hit 288 with uh, six home runs and 223 at-bats, which is nice. And you can also go all the way back to uh, 2019, which I would have never guessed this. Kevin Pillar had 20-plus home runs in the season, which is very impressive because I would have never guessed that. Also, 88 RBIs. Middle of the lineup, Kevin Pillar. I like it. Um, but the biggest thing with Kevin Pillar... Um, especially early on that you kind of pick up on whenever you look at him as his defense. I think a lot of people remember those Toronto Blue Jays days when he was manning center field and you get on ESPN and just see Kevin Pillar crazy catch highlights all the time. Yeah. He's not the same player anymore. He's old. Like he's not old, but he is older now. He's 33, 34. Um, he's not, he's not really your defensive type guy anymore. He is, he has not posted a defensive war above one since 2017. So I don't think he's really going to be your prototypical, like star stud defensive outfielder. Um, and I think that's really what kills him here is that he doesn't really do anything better than any of the guys that we listed above him. Um, like I said, if you're going to go defense, you're going to go Eli White. If you're going to go offense, you're going to go Sam Hilliard, in my opinion. Um, but he is also he is very intriguing just because of the uh, veteran experience. I'm sure he's a great guy in the clubhouse. He's been around, you know, a lot of winning teams with the Dodgers last year, with the Mets the year before that, spent some time with Boston the year before that. So he's been around a couple clubhouses. He definitely could be a guy that, you know, could bring some experience. Another guy that I kind of hope if we do option down to AAA, he's not like one of those guys that declare for free agency, that he actually kind of sticks it out down there. I would assume that he would declare for free agency and try to get a job somewhere else. But, hey, we can we can always have wishful thinking. This is another guy with a really impressive spray chart. Dude hits the ball all around the field. A little bit of a different story with Kevin Polaris. This guy does not strike out. Yeah. Yeah, not, not, a, not, a, not a big strikeout guy for sure. Um, Strikeout numbers are... Far below the league average. Yeah, career is 16.6, which is 
very, very impressive. Last year we saw the uptick a little bit, but I will say right. last year he only had 13 plate appearances, so it's it's small sample size. Things like that happen. Yeah. Um, right now in spring training, I want to say Roman Quinn has six at-bats and three home runs, and he's hit like nine in his whole major league career, over like 700 yeah. at-bats. So small sample size can do that stuff to you. It's funny to look at this stuff, though, because we're talking about a guy that has like Honestly, a pretty decent hard hit percentage, like something I would I would honestly think would be a lot lower. I mean, we're talking about a guy that, you know, throughout his career consistently put up around like thirty five percent hard hit percentage, which is, you know, it's it's below league average. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I never looked at Kevin Pillar as a hitter. I always looked at him as no. a defender. So, hey, he's he's intriguing. Um, it, during the off season when that happened, I was a little bit more intrigued than I am now. <laughs> Just because I'm kind of looking around, like, okay, maybe he's not a top four candidate in left field. <laughs> And obviously, but that's a good thing. Hey, that is a great thing, Braves fans. We love to see that. Very, very good. All right, so now we got done with the position breakdown. That was the whole position breakdown. It took three episodes, but we are done with it. Um, we are an hour into the podcast. So we're getting, you know, we're getting pretty prime time, Kenny. And I have a question for you. I did not forget my question, so you Let's go ahead and remind me. Um, right now on Braves Talk, um, we might ask this question again before the season starts, but. As of March 1st, 10.43 p.m. Eastern Time, what is your Braves opening day lineup? We don't know the opposing starters, so that kind of makes things a little bit interesting. Um, but hey, just, you know, we don't play platoons on opening day. You're going to get your best guys out there for sure. So go ahead and give me your Braves opening day lineup. Ooh. Let me pull up everybody. I want to make this good, baby. I want to make this a dream scenario. Make this primed up. Would you like me to give mine first? I have mine in my head. You can. I've got mine too, but you, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So we're, we'll, we'll see our differences right here. Actually, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Lineup order. I'll give my first. Yeah. You can give your first. Second, second. You know what I mean? And batting first, um, there's no other person to put here. Um, number 13, Ronald Acuna Jr. playing right field. Agreed. Batting seconds, I have uh this is where I kinda get a little bit questioning yet. Um I, I was kind of up in the air about Matt Olson or Michael Harris. I'm gonna grow with Michael Harris. Yep, I'm with you. All right, batting third, I'm going with Austin Riley playing third base. No doubt. Fourth, that is where I'm gonna put Matt Olson at, playing first base. I was kind of in the middle with Matt Olson and Michael Harris thinking maybe we could switch them to. I do like to have the lefty, you know, righty splits. I like to always kind of alternate those, so you're going to see a pretty consistent trend of that between me. Um, and that kind of takes me to batting fifth. And that's where I have Sean Murphy catching. Hey, I have Ozzy Albies here. Okay. Ozzy, I will say if we're facing a lefty, I think it's definitely a possibility. Yeah. <laughs> batting sixth, this is where I have Ozzy. I have Ozzy batting sixth. Playing sixth. And this is, this is where I have Mr. Murphy. Okay. Batting seventh. This is where I have our DH Marcelo Zuna batting. Me as well, sir. Then I'm going to go to eighth in left field. I have Eddie Rosario. This was a flip-flop for me. Um, but ultimately, I did go with Eddie at eight. Definitely a flip-flop. Um, I, yeah. I could see it going either way. The only reason I went Eddie is just so you keep the righty-lefty, righty-lefty, righty-lefty. If you, if you notice with my lineup, I went with Ronnie, righty, Harris, lefty, Riley, righty, wide. Olsen, Bye. lefty. Bye. Murphy, righty. Ozzy could potentially be a lefty right there. See, we could, we could use Bye. that as the lefty. Ozuna, righty. Rosario, lefty. And then at the ninth position, playing shortstop. 
on Grissom. So the only thing we switched were Ozzy and Sean Murphy. Yep. Not terrible. I could definitely see Ozzy batting fifth. Um, yeah. I will say I was intrigued the other day because the Braves had a pretty loaded lineup out the other day, and Murphy batted cleanup. So that was yeah. that was pretty intriguing to see. Um, I, I, that did kind of make me curious. Like, okay, maybe they are going to be batting this guy pretty high up in the lineup. I think the top four set. There's not going to be anybody that gets in that top four outside of those guys. Maybe against lefties, and I don't I, even if we face the lefty on opening day, I don't think the lineup's going to change too much from that. Like I said, you kind of play your best guys on opening day. Um, maybe down the road when we face lefties, you drop Harris down the lineup and move Ozzy to second. I could definitely see that being a play because Ozzy does mash lefties and Harris. That's kind of like his struggle point in his career. Um, but I de- definitely think opening day we're we're pretty. I think we're going to be pretty spot on. I, I think yeah. I'm feeling that pretty good. I, I agree. The only th- the only possible way I see the top four switching up is kind of similar to last year. Of uh, you know, you got certain guys going on tears, certain guys cooling off a little bit. Mm-hmm. You see, you know, you move Matt Olson up to that two spot. Um, you know, Michael Harris batting third and uh, Australia moving down the cleanup spot. I could see that potentially arise, but um that still doesn't change who we've got in the top four. Didn't Matt Olson get moved down like as far as like sixth last year at one point? There was a couple times, yeah. And it's funny because he started that he started like first two weeks of the season like the best hitter in baseball, and then it just yeah. went down, and then it went right back up. Um, Didn't he? Am I tripping, or did he start the year batting third? I think he did. Didn't he bat third, and Austin Riley was batting cleanup? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a. I think I want. Well, actually, no, it wasn't Acuna. Was it? Dan, it was Dansby, Ozzy, Olson, and Riley. I think. I think so too. Yeah, because Acuna has missed the first couple weeks. Um, I'm assuming starting pitching is Max Freed. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I, I think that's pretty much a lock now. Um, there's a couple guys candidates, but baseball is kind of like one of those old traditional sports where you have your ace, you give them a, the respect of uh, being the opening day starter. Got to. Oh, that was fun. That was That was a fun little exercise right there. Baseball, baby. Um, I guess since we are an Atlanta podcast, I'll go ahead and mention that the Hawks hired uh, Quinn Snyder to be the next head coach. Nate McMillan got fired. Um, we had the interim coach name is slipping my mind right now. Um, and then Quinn Snyder came in, lost his first game. Um, Trey Young did hit a buzzer beater like three days ago, which was awesome. Um, beautiful to see. Bradley Beal went on a tear against us last night, so we lost that game. He dropped like thirty eight. <laughs> Trey Young did have two attempts to tie it in the in on the last possession. He shot three point shot with like five seconds left. Clint fought for the board, passed it right back out to him, missed it again. Uh, it was a little painful, especially a game after he hit a game winner. I was like, "Oh, Trey's about to do it again." Trey don't miss. He's like Pedro Pascal. <laughs> Pedro Pascal, baby, undefeated. Um, trying to think of any other notable sporting news before we get out of here. Combine should be starting up. We'll be having some combine talk coming up. Here soon, um, I think it what like the actual combine itself, like the the workouts and stuff, start Monday, or is it the weekend? I think I think the combine has uh, started now, but it's some stuff starts tomorrow. Okay, so yeah, we're kind of so, getting ramped up. I'll say I think it started yesterday actually, but it wasn't like anything that nobody like it wasn't anything people care about. I think position workouts start tomorrow and then move on through the weekend. I think we got quarterback Saturday. I know I, I know I like to we like to hate on Anthony Richardson in this podcast. But just that he is running his 40-yard dash makes me intrigued that he knows something that most people don't. Cuz I feel like that has the potential to hurt his draft stock a lot more than it has to help it. 
It's Stet running? I don't know. I know that um, Bryce Young's not participating at all. He's not throwing or anything. CJ Stroud is doing everything besides running, I'm pretty sure. I think he, he said that on Pat McAfee's show. He, he said he's not, not going to run. <laughs> they asked him. He was like, nope, I'm definitely not going to run. Um, I heard that on Pat's show. Uh, I don't. I haven't heard anything about Levis. I don't know what Levis is doing. I know AR is doing everything. Um, and I don't know what Stet's doing. I'm assuming Stet's going to run. He has no reason not to run. Yeah. If, it's, yeah, if Stet, that's going to help him tremendously because I think he's got some wheels that maybe a lot of people don't know about. AR is just intriguing to me because I feel like, you know, these guys run before the combine. They know what they're running. Like, they know where they're sitting at. And I feel like if AR runs anything over, like, a 4.55, he's hurting himself. Maybe even anything over a 4.5, he's hurting himself. Like, people know that his speed is his his key point. So to see that he's running makes me intrigued that, like, okay, maybe he knows something. Maybe he knows that he might go out there and run a 4.4 and might boost yeah. his draft stock up. Like, I'm going to be really intrigued to watch. There's no way he goes out there and runs a 4.6. No way. Like he knows he's running faster than that. No, Stet might run a 4-6. Because we don't see running quarterbacks run at the combine. Mm-mm. Like, it, it doesn't happen. Normally, running quarterbacks sit out that part. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to throw. I'm going to show you I can throw a football, and I'm going home. So, Dude, see the, a running, like. The last one I remember was RG3, and he tied the record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and that was, I mean, RG3 and Marcus Mariota are, like, the two most notable. And then, obviously, yeah. Desmond Ritter recently beat. I think, obviously, that boosts his draft stock. Probably more because nobody really knew him as a runner, and he went out there and ran like what? What did he run like four sub four five or something like that? Dude, Des. Yeah, I know Des ran a lot faster than what people thought. It's like the fastest forty time recorded by a quarterback since RG three, I think. Mm-hmm. What did he run? Four five two. Four five two. But I, the main reason I'm excited about Anthony Richardson because it seems like every time we get the quarterbacks we're excited to see run, they never run like Lamar, or Kyler, or you know <laughs> all the guys yeah. that you get so or Malik Willis this past year. Um, all the guys you get really excited to see run, we never get the chance to see them run. And Anthony Richardson's kind of giving us a taste, like okay, we're gonna get to see this guy run. If he runs any, if he runs a four three, it's over. Oh yeah, I'm. What I'm really excited to see are the measurements. I'm curious to see that too. I, but the, I know Bryce Young said he's not participating in any activities. So will he still be there getting measured? I think so. I think I think that's a given. He goes to his pro day and gets measured. It's going to be rigged. They're going to measure well, him at six one. <laughs> his his trainer officially listed him at five ten and a half. So you know I don't know if he's five ten and a half, but that seems a lot more realistic than six foot. Yeah, there's some intriguing stuff out there about Bryce saying that, like, I think there's been one quarterback to ever be drafted that was below six foot under 200 pounds. And I think it was like a seventh round pick way back when. I think that yeah. Drew, I'm pretty sure that, well, Drew Brees, his problem was he was listed at six foot even. So he, he wasn't ever in that category. And then the most notable guys, Kyler and Russ, are both heavier set guys that are easily pushing over 200. Yeah. I think Kyler's damn near 230, which is insane. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler's like 228. What was Baker's height? Um, I think Baker might have been 5'10", but I think Baker's another. Like, Baker's, I think Baker's pretty he heavy. Like two, probably 215. Actually, probably. Baker's 6'1". That's crazy. Baker's 6'1", 215. I do not believe that whatsoever. He's a thick boy. 
Yeah, he looks. I think it's because he always wears that damn rib cage on his. <laughs> he always got that thing on. Kyler's uh 207. Okay. Which that's that's believable. He looks like he's pretty hefty. Yeah, I'm curious, man. I'm curious to see about Stet. I'm curious to see about Bryce. Yeah, Stet's gonna be an interesting one. I think if Stet can push over that, even I'm not even gonna say over six foot. If he can push over that five eleven, I think it's gonna help him a lot. Also, yeah. I mean, we've heard it in the past, man. Hand sizes, hand sizes can make or break guys in this in this process at quarterback position. Some of these guys go out there and have small hands, which they said it last year, like hand size is bad, and then everybody made fun of Kenny Pickett for having a small hand, and then he was still drafted in the first round. So I don't know how much it really matters. Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow. Like, there's a ton of guys out there that have small hands, and it seems like every time the combine comes around, everybody's like, oh, yeah, you better be careful with the hand size. This guy might fumble the ball a lot. Like, they say that, and then the guy still gets drafted, like, super high. <laughs> And then you have Dan Campbell come out today and say that they don't even give a crap about the cop. They don't give a crap about yeah. guys running around in their pajamas. They look at tape, and that's what they'd use to dictate their guys, which is probably more realistic. But I guarantee you, like, there's some – like, if Stetson Bennett goes out there and runs a 4-4, that's going to help. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to hurt, I promise. If, if anything, it confirms his tape. Like, okay, this kid can run. Yeah. I, I don't think he's going to run a 4-4. I think Stetson's more of like a 4-5. I'm going to say 4-5-7. Four five five, maybe four five, maybe. Love to see it. I think people don't understand though how fast four four is. Very that's fast. fast. Like that is like a four five is fast. Yeah. If you're hauled at four five, that's quick. That's um, ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, if a guy like Stephen Bennett can get there, it's gonna be beautiful. I hate not to see Bryce Young run too because I think he's a guy that uh, I would be curious to see what he does run. You know, obviously, two years ago, we looked back at Bryce, and he was uh, more of a – he wasn't as much of a runner than last year. We kind of saw him, you know, dive into that play style a little bit more. CJ yeah. makes a ton of sense not to run, though. CJ Stroud could easily be a guy to run and run like a four seven nine. Like, I remember yeah. the time Dewey Haskins ran at the combine. He ran like a five oh one, and everybody was like, damn, this guy's that slow. <laughs> we watched Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State. We thought he was a little bit quicker than that. He goes to the combine. He runs like Tom Brady, slower than Tom. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely no reason for CJ Stroud to strap it up for the 40. Yeah. And like, like I said, hopefully Levis runs. Hopefully we get some of those like mid-tier quarterback guys. Guys that are getting some hype. I mean, CJ, I, I want to say Anthony Richardson opened up betting odds for first overall pick at like plus 20,000. And now he's at plus 800, which is crazy to think that he has won up that much. Um, I don't know what brought that on. I'm assuming maybe it was him confirming he's going to do all the workouts at the combine. Because that's like the last kind of yeah. event that can help him improve draft stock. I don't think it's going to happen. But hey, it's, it is intriguing that the betting that the betting markets are bumping it that high. I think hand size is something that everybody's real high on Will Levis. I think dude's got like 11-inch hands. Yeah, I think Levis, Levis and Richardson both are going to be guys that are going to light up the combine. There's no doubt in my mm-hmm. mind. They're throwing, their throwing drills are going to be absolutely insane. Their 40 times are going to be crazy. All of the measurements are going to be there. These guys are both 6'5", 6'4", 230, 240 type guys that can throw the ball 80 yards. Yeah, with hoses. Yeah. <laughs> we have two guys that we know are going to – actually, is Levis participating? Did we ever confirm that? I think he is. I think there's. I think a lot of guys are throwing. Will Levis is going to throw at the combine. I don't think he's going to run. Um. Uh, which I don't blame him. I don't really think he yeah. should be running anyways. I don't really think I don't think he has the open field speed like I think he's more of like a Josh Allen type speed guy. 
He can get it done. Yeah, he can get it done. He can run through people. All right, well, we rambled on a little bit, too. A little bit long there. I'm sorry about that, guys. We got into some combine dig, deep dig, uh, deep diving. I almost kind of forgot we were on the podcast. <laughs> Me and Kenny usually talk crap for a little bit after the podcast, so I kind of felt like we were in that stage. Um, but I'll go ahead and get my closing remarks. Uh, thank you guys for listening. If you're watching us on YouTube right here, I'm waving at you. Um, go check us out on the Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can find us there, same name, Peach Day Tailgate. Um, and on the podcast, you just heard the same thing. Guys, we do a YouTube. If you want to come check us out, we go live usually Wednesdays around 9 p.m. Um, I think whenever NFL comes around, we're going to do a little bit of two, two episode a week. I think we talked about that before, whenever the draft is coming around. So we can get both of our mock drafts in, which is awesome. I'm so excited for that. Yes, week. sir. I'm so pumped up. I got to, I got to, I got to start scouting. I'm about to watch, I'm about to watch eight hours of tape. <laughs> Let's go, baby. I'm about to just load up the couch with popcorn and potato chips and beers and watch these quarterbacks throw at the combine. Oh, facts. I'm going to put QB School's 37-minute-long video on Southern Miss's quarterback breakdown against Northern Miss. <laughs> going to be ready. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. But, yeah, I thank y'all guys so much. Kenny, I'm going to pass the baton to you unless you hit your closing remarks and we'll get up out of here. Hey, man, thank y'all so much for listening. I'm sure we'll probably do a combine breakdown next week. Oh, yeah. And talk about some things that we've seen. Um, it's going to be a big talking point. We'll hit on Brace Spring Training moving forward. But, uh, man, a lot of cool things coming up. And uh, like you said, Jake, baseball starts this month. And um, I am hyped for it, baby. So appreciate y'all for listening. Thank y'all for joining us. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Oh, yeah.